0: From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a man who won America's hearts while simultaneously creeping them out in the sixth sense, and who can now be seen in such projects as the fourth season of HBO Silicon Valley and the new Amazon pilot, Oasis. Hanley Joel Osment, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, man. I put together a guest list for this show, which I started somewhat recently, and, um, and you were on it. Oh, awesome. Thank so you. I heard you on Mark Marin's podcast, and yeah. before that, um, I watched The Spoils of Babylon. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I was excited to see you back and to see you reinvented. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel do you feel like a reinvented person?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, uh, you know, mentioning something like spoils, I think, is a (laughs) a perfect example of just uh, um, the. Diverse opportunities that you have out there today. I think that's the show that um, might not have found a home, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, despite all the amazing names that are on it, just because it's such an unusual concept and an unusual uh, bit of comedy. But uh, today, you can find that sort of specific audience, and you know, somebody like uh, um, uh, Matt Piedmont and Andrew Steele who wrote it and uh, directed it. Um, you know, can do something so very, very, very specific and, and just sort of follow their uh, uh, um, craziest impulses with that. Right, that was like a, <clears throat>
0: uh, I mean, I guess you would say it was a, a parody of TV miniseries from the early yeah, 80s? Yeah, like
1: Dynasty and, uh, you know, some of those old 70s, early 80s, like, you know, multi-generational epic stories, you know. And, and in our case, it was a uh, a family of oil barons. Right. But, but within the meta-commentary of Will Ferrell's character Who's sort of like this late period Orson Welles, uh, you know, when he was doing the wine commercials? It sort was, of it, it, yeah, yeah, it was very, uh, <laughs> what was the name of it? Was, it wasn't Brunetti. Right. It was very much wine commercial Orson yeah, Welles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, what, what was it? We, 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 Yeah, that was it. We mm-hmm. sell no wine before it's time. That's right. <laughs> um,. So,
0: uh, uh, well, let me ask you something about *Spoils of Babylon*. It, the the show parodied a specific style of um, um, mini series, but also a, a specific style of acting, which was very, very over the top. And it is isn't interesting how acting seems to age in the same way that music does. Thing, you know, listen to the Beatles, still think they're great, but you can obviously just tell. Any idiot could tell it's like recorded in the '60s theoretically in acting you're trying to act like a person you're trying to act natural and yet it seems like inevitably there will be affectations that you put into your performance that people will be able to look at in 15 20 years and go oh man that's that's so ben stiller 1990 right there (laughs) is it inevitable that acting uh uh is affected and, and, and 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 therefore ages oh
1: yeah i think uh and you know comedy as well too like what's funny you know in a certain period is going to change over time you know and you can get a saturation of, of one type of, of way of making people laugh and you have to sort of strike out and find new ter- territory I guess but with just with performances um, yeah I was watching uh, Apocalypse Now over the weekend and like despite you know how much everybody knows about the behind the scenes stuff with that movie and everything like you can still get lost in it when they're you know actors like you know Duvall and Brando and Martin Sheen like even knowing all of the backstory really well you can still um, get sucked into those performances just because of how good they are it's so, an
0: amazing magic trick yeah
1: that these people were so intimately familiar with that we've seen impersonating
0: other types of human beings we can still yeah. lose ourselves
1: and just all the trouble that Brando put them through and right. it's like well it, it it always you know it, it turns out to be
0: something great. Well, know? and so, uh, so appropriate, um, given that they were essentially filming an adaptation of Heart of Darkness, you have yes. the, the, the the meta, which I'm not sure if I'm ever using that word correctly, but I think I might be here. <laughs> it, 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 it's a book that's being turned into a movie about somebody who goes into the juggle and goes insane because of being there, and that's exactly what happens to this project.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh, initially, when it was a project uh, that uh, George Lucas was on and, and uh, when they were planning it in the early 70s when the war was still going, Going on. Their first crazy idea before the studio told them no was that they wanted to go to Vietnam while the war was going on and shoot it documentary style. Um, which obviously they uh, didn't end up doing. Yeah, but, you know, it's yeah, tough it's, to get insurance on that. Yeah, I think that might be a little bit difficult. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, you know, and Brando hadn't read the book when he got to the to the uh, to the set. It had Coppola had to read it out loud to him on the set while they sat around not shooting. So yeah, it's, it's got to be great to be talented enough to get away with that sort of bullshit. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you seem to really be a fan of uh, of of movies and of acting in general. W- were you? always or from when you were a little kid or do you think being in the industry has just opened your mind to it?
1: I think so and uh, you know I I think uh, it's pretty easy to get uh, to to, to fall in love with movies and to fall in love with all of that and uh, yeah and you know since I got started so early And was lucky enough to be sort of in proximity to, you know, the first film I did was Forrest Gump. So early on, it was like, oh, and now you see the other side of it when it like, you know, got nominated for Academy Awards and watching that on TV and everything. So an early association with all the sides of the industry. And It's an interesting, you know, the history of movies is fascinating. The, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff is very interesting. And when you get an early window into that, I think it definitely uh, increases your movie fandom. There's one thing like with, with The Sixth Sense, like that definitely made it harder for scary films to be scary for me because when you see... How it's done, and when you spend so much time, you know, being an employee on that project and, and and working on it that way, it's sort of it's not that the magic was gone, but it's it's hard to to get sort of spooked by things after a while because you're just so familiar with it. You know, Cause, yeah, because we don't see that in your sightline. There's a fat guy scratching his ass, holding a light in the background. <laughs> well, that you see, you know, people in that gruesome makeup sitting around at lunch and, right. and all that kind of stuff. So that's the one thing where I think it it was an impediment to having a total. You know, like I don't have a particular you know fandom for horror movies specifically, but uh, in in other senses, you know, like with Apocalypse Now or something, it's like despite knowing behind the scenes stuff and despite having a window into that sort of thing myself like I still love going to the movie theater I still love love to try and lose myself in a project which is why some of my uh, favorite films as a uh, just an audience member are the ones that I go into knowing nothing about
0: you that know? was yeah. you know what I'm one of the lucky ones that was actually my experience with the sixth sense
1: yeah I went because it
0: was very cold and it was very <laughs> windy and that was the next movie that was playing and oh, my girlfriend cool. at the time had no idea and it's such a shame the tension between the creative side and the marketing side and I'm fully sympathetic to both sides but when a movie has a great twist the marketing department is going to <laughs> is going to get that word out you know yeah. when, when Johnny Depp shows up in your movie in a surprise role in the second half word is somehow going to get out because right. people are trying to make money off the movie and they're going to sell it however they can but I felt so fortunate that I mean our jaws were on the floor we had I didn't even know what genre of the movie I was going to, so I certainly did not realize what was going on the entire plot. Oh, that's awesome. What city were you in? Where was it? It was in New York. (laughs) Oh, nice. That's
1: that's great. um... It's it's, it's hard to be so ignorant of culture in New York, but I pulled it (laughs) off. Well, it's just amazing because now, and I, I think there were AOL chat rooms and things where it was probably spoiled for people, but now you wouldn't get- you know, through principal photography without the secret getting out somewhere, right. you know, probably. So yeah. it's uh, it's cool that you know we got to have that experience of it being sort of this thing that. And at the time, the attitude I, that I got the sense of from audience members was that people liked to take their friends and family to see it with enjoying the fact that they knew something they didn't know. Right. And I think that's less of a prevalent thing today in, in the way that people uh, uh, people like to spoil things for one another. <laughs>
0: It's tempting. <clears throat> it's too easy. It's it, it's it's too easy. Is the is the problem? So you're yeah. uh so you're a beard guy now.
1: I am, yeah. <laughs> and part of it was uh, intentional. I I grew it out for uh, this this role that I'm playing in Oasis, mm-hmm. where I'm a space botanist. We'll talk about who, that. Yeah. But uh, and then we finished around the holidays, and I just decided to keep it around. And then when Silicon Valley happened in January, they're like, "Oh, this kind of works for that character." And now I'm doing a show. Um, for Hulu called Future Man, which is why my voice sounds kind of ragged right now because my character is a screamer um uh, they were like oh this is you got to keep this and everything yeah so it's uh it's getting down there yeah
0: do, do you do you embrace the fact i mean i think you've also put on a couple pounds since you were 10 years old yeah. um, it, that it, were you consciously trying to like reinvent the the face of what you present to the world because you are you are a brand every actor is a is a brand <laughs> did you want to rebrand yourself
1: you know it's uh i think a very attractive thing to uh transform yourself for different roles and yeah, with with various things from the, you know this character I, I played in uh, uh, Sassy Pants a couple of years ago, where I'm this like club boy bar back, um, and then obviously just uh, Spoils of Babylon, which I, I think I had the most costume changes that I've I've ever had in any project, or maybe ever will. Which is amazing um, since the episodes were like six minutes long. Exactly, yeah, and we <laughs> shot in like a month, so oh. it was a lot of different looks crammed into into one series. But yeah, and then with uh, with this like. The beard sort of came out for this entourage character where I'm like this, you know, trashy, you know, film financier's son and everything. And then when you (laughs) achieve a certain look for something it, it you stay like that for a couple months for the project and then in the meantime, like with this, it sort of snowballs where it's like, oh, and then for the continuity for Silicon and con- continuity for this. So I think, uh, you know, whenever uh, the road ends with Oasis or something, which is what the beard and all that is initially for, I'm like, I'll have to try and find a new way to reinvent myself because it's nice because I just, as an actor, you want to say, you know, have this thing where you look back over, you know, years or hopefully decades, and go like, "Look at all the different, you know, pieces of the puzzle, all the right. different roles." <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like looking at baseball cards yeah. from the seventies. Sure. All right, that's what guys <laughs> used to look like. You're a huge yeah. baseball fan. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, big Dodger fan. Yeah, uh, I'm a lapsed baseball fan. How, how, how do you how do you do it, man? Um, I, well, I'm, I mostly focus on the Dodgers, like yeah. I'm more and more, like I'm not to the point where I can play fantasy baseball. Most of the guys that, you know, that I'm old friends from high school and everything who are really, really into baseball can do a couple of leagues and I don't have a broad enough knowledge of the rest of the teams in the league to really do that. But I'm starting to get there just because, you know, I'll find a way to keep up with the Dodgers no matter where I am. I mean, in, with Oasis, we were in uh, Cape Town, which was the... Worst possible time difference because you know it was the playoffs when we were there, and like the games would start at like three o'clock in the morning, and you'd have work at seven o'clock in the morning. And I'd just like for important games, I'd go to bed at seven and wake up at three, and then go to work at seven. And it was just and you'd a, watch them live, yeah, yeah, as much as I could, you know.
0: Have you ever timed? I seriously think in and I I loved I loved baseball so deep. You're for, you're New, uh,
1: New York originally, or yeah, yeah. Some so Mets or Yankees?
0: Well, I'm I'm a Yankees fan, yeah. and um, I I and and I don't apologize for that. Because <laughs> You don't have to. If you're I'm, from New York. <laughs> well, because I, was, uh, I became a Yankees fan in 1985, and in 1986, the Mets were the toast of New York. Yeah. And now, 70 years of championships didn't mean a goddamn thing to an eight-year-old. <laughs> all I knew was all my friends had Lenny Dykstra and Keith Hernandez and Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, and I had... Uh, uh, Butch Weiniger, yeah, you know, <laughs> so so I, I felt like I did my hard time. So I, I, I the, when you really live and die, like when you cry at baseball games, the, <laughs> the Yankees were not a very good team. So I felt like I had done my time. By the time they found success in yeah. the mid, in the mid nineties, but what I find now is. I mean, I I literally think they might spend more time scratching themselves than they do playing baseball.
1: Well, I liked, and again, I'm not as, as up on them as I am my own team, but it seems like they were they did some good work last year, sort of you know uh, getting some good young guys Yankees? around. And yeah, I thought so. I like, follow
0: them. I, fo- see, I follow them like I follow a stock now. I read about them. <laughs> I read about them every day, but yeah. I don't actually need to go down to the trading floor
1: and see what's what's going on. I, yep. uh, I, they the Dodgers visited them on the road last uh, July, I think, and they had some road... Or no, it was early September, and uh, it was a really great road trip, and there's this group of LA fans called uh, Pantone 394 that do mass road trips, and so... They had brought all these huge, like, section-sized banners that said L.A. on them, and everybody had a different backpack. And so, like, in the early part of the game, when the camera would be over there, they'd unfurl over the whole section, like, this big L.A. thing. And I was like, all right. Like, Good for them. <laughs> it's a pretty cool thing to do. They probably got that <laughs> idea
0: from uh, Japan. I don't know how much time you
1: spent over there, but that's- I've actually it's, been a lot, and mm-hmm. baseball over there is fascinating and yes. awesome. And, and, and it's fan, one the of the, the great th- things th- about yeah. the Dodgers is that we were pioneers in bringing players from from other countries no early on. Yeah, we Well, well oh, Fernando going yeah, right Fernando- And now with uh, Urias and and Puig and everything, like we have some really cool narratives with that. But yeah, great, great, great players in Japan.
0: Um, So I don't want to uh, belabor your past, but I want to get everybody up to speed for anybody who doesn't know with everything that's happened to you in the last 20 years or so. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, so... Okay, I found it interesting. So you got into acting, and I think I know the story that you were kind of discovered somewhere and you weren't necessarily looking for that, but then your um, your sister also got involved with acting, so obviously yes. at a certain point the family got on board with the whole thing. <laughs> to what extent was that, well, if he's doing it, I want to do it too, and how much of it was the family saying, this is kind of a good gig here?
1: With both me and my sister, I think had the early projects we did, uh, had they not been... So hard to like not do or like the first thing you know I I did practically was Forrest Gump and like that was involved with getting involved with a pretty big and cool movie and then when my sister started going out for stuff she got uh, Hannah Montana like pretty early on and like nobody could have seen what that became but it's a you know it's a hard thing to uh, to turn down and the thing was that my parents it's not a Easy position to be there because people don't always uh, assume the best things about parents of of kids in the industry like that. I think they're very, you know, their number one concern was us and were we getting a good education in school and having a normal upbringing and everything. But, but, you know, with just the risk of getting involved with the industry, their position was always you're going to finish school. And if it's not fun and you don't want to do it, you can quit tomorrow. So that was always, it was such a relaxed thing for me and something I enjoyed doing so much that by the time i got to high school and started uh looking at colleges and figuring out that and everything i still i didn't have a clear idea of like well i'm going to push this hard or like when i turn 18 i'm going to you know go out to you know looking for these types of roles and in fact i did the opposite of a you know shrewd business decision i went to new york and went to college for 5 years and didn't really come back to la for any meaningful period of time until like 2013 I would say so um it always for me was on the path of an artistic pursuit and my dad uh, ran a theater on Santa Monica Boulevard in the 80s and uh, was a theater trained actor and everything so his um influence on me was always towards the craft and everything and not for any sort of specific and certainly not looking for fame in any way I think that's one thing that um is uh constant in our families is that none of us are too interested in being in the public eye too much well yeah. you've chosen a terrible <laughs> a terrible field to pursue that that dream well it's it's tough because and i I think you see this with a, with a lot of uh, actors in the industry is that you love what you do and what you do necessitates this side of it of, yeah. you know of press yeah everything. what about this why did you agree yeah. to do this what do you get out of talking to me right um now? well it's it's you want to go and support the projects that you're doing okay. and again, and it's particularly like with oasis like it's very clear cut now it's based on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. how many people see it, the reviews that they give and everything. And, you know, it's the... I certainly prefer this to the way that Junkets used to run when everything was three-minute television spots. Like, this is a lot more uh, interesting and rewarding to me, and I feel like people probably get more out of it than the standard, like, five-question television interview that used to happen back in the day. Yeah. Like, you know, you get a conversation, you're saying you were saying you heard me on Marin and everything. Like, that's, the, I think, what people... Uh, like to get these days is a little bit of a, you know, more involved look at somebody. So, right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, the, 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 um, the technology is such that people, you you know, can actually get across as
1: a human being. Yeah. And just like you, you with, I mean, it, comedians, I feel like pioneered this sort of stuff with all those podcasts is now that I have hours and hours and hours of just listening to these conversations and everything. And you really feel like you know somebody. Yeah. Um, more than you might an actor. And so for me as an actor, there's a balance of, uh, um, like, I'm not going to start my own podcast or anything because there I like for it to be the fact that when you go and see me in a film or something, um, it's not too distracting that, you know, all this about me. You know, right, that goes right. back to what we're saying about a look, about, mm-hmm. you know, where you live geographically and everything. It's always trying to to still be secondary to the necessity of the role. Yeah. You got to limit yeah. the supply of you.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. that's out there. Okay, so you <laughs> went away to college. Um, I have to imagine you, you left potential really good roles on the table to go away to college because you'd been in a string of prestige pictures. Yeah,
1: and and that kind of started in high school just because to apply to college now, and I, I, can't, I mean, that was 10 years ago. I can't imagine how much harder it is for kids these days. Um, but you know, the last two years of high school in particular is a ton of standardized testing and getting the college stuff ready and everything. So I didn't really work the last two years of high school. And when I got to, uh, college, I ended up choosing NYU. Part of the, um, appeal of that was that they were very much like, we'll work with you if something comes up that you want to do. Um, you know, they did allow me to take a leave of absence to do a play on Broadway. And I made one other film when I was there. But by the time I got halfway through college, I didn't really, I wasn't looking for auditions. And I wasn't doing that because I'm like, I will be in school forever if I don't do this now. And as much as it can be, you know, a thing where people, you know, you're not going to be at the top of anybody's list if you aren't even living in LA and, you know, are gone for four or five years. Um, there's only, you can go to college any time in your life, but there's a special sort of opportunity to do it at that age. Yes. The people that you meet, the... Unique opportunity uh, to really sort of figure out what it is that you want to do, and the answer for me came back to this so yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: um, i, I 've read you say something that I found sort of interesting. You said that in the acting program you were in at NYU there were some um, some young stage actors who were as accomplished, if not more oh, accomplished yeah. than you whether or not that was your intention that's probably exactly what you needed was to not be the big cheese in a room because it's it's it, there's no way around it it's it's weird when a kid has more power than a kid ought to have yeah. it's kind of similar it's frankly yeah. it's kind of similar to a girl that's just like insanely off the charts charts gorgeous <laughs> she never really gets to interface with the world in in a realistic sort of way you know i think about um you know francis bean cobain I mm-hmm. follow on Twitter. I follow.
1: I think I follow her too, yeah. She's a
0: pretty good follow, <laughs> yeah. But, but that's crazy. I follow her because she's, you know, Kurt and Courtney's kid. And it's just so insane that over the years, she has uttered things that any child would utter, and some adult has reacted to it in a heightened way, consciously or subconsciously or what have you, because they want to curry favor with that circle of people. Yeah. And that's not a great place for a kid to start off from. That doesn't root you in reality very well.
1: And when people have... A question I got more often when I was actually a kid was more about the like, oh, when it goes wrong, when people, you know, things happen to them and they make bad decisions and all this stuff. And it's like, well, like you're saying, like, it's usually not the kid's fault. It's usually the environment that they're around and people giving them too much license or parents that are in it for the wrong reason and everything and, um, yeah I don't think you know, that's
0: been an issue for, for uh,
1: Francis Bean I'm no, sure no, and no. Courtney's <laughs> been
0: packing a bag lunch for her all these years
1: <laughs> I, um, but for for me it was like not only were my parents very good about having the proper boundaries and going to school and you know not not doing anything Hollywood related except for actually working on the projects and, you know doing some interviews and stuff but um, the directors that I worked with and the, the set environments that I was on because just now watching movies and and reading things you hear about even even uh you know Stanley Kubrick one of my favorite artists of any kind the way that he directed children was not being straight with them necessarily but sort of like sort of manipulating things out of you and you saw that happen with a lot of performances even great kid performances were done in a way where it was sort of manipulating something out of them and all the directors that I worked with were the opposite from from Steven Spielberg and night Shyamalan it was it was the same process of first we sat down in rehearsal and went through the script Mm -hmm. and were, you know, talked it through. And that made such a big difference in the way that I remember it, the way that it helped me build on what I learned then in how I do performances now and that, uh, even at that time it was learning about the craft of acting and learning about the craft of movie making and not like how do we get this out of a kid right don't just tell yeah. him his dog died and then roll right. the cameras yeah yeah that's a surefire way to get some tears yeah you'll get tears yeah. every single
0: time <laughs> do, do you feel like I feel like the most really um, kids who come across very well on camera when they're very very young it, it can't be craft there's only so much craft you can have when you're sure. to, you you kind of just have to have like a neck. like yeah. in retrospect Gary Coleman had a, had a neck when he was a little kid to what extent wh- when do you think you started to turn from somebody who just had a knack on camera to somebody who had technique on camera.
1: Um god, I don't know cuz and one thing actually one of my <laughs> my uh, teachers at uh, at ETW at NYU said was a lot of the exercises that we'd work on, you know, these experimental techniques, very, you know, complicated stuff, she'd try a lot of her stuff on her 5-year-old first and because it's like you could call it a knack but it's also like kids don't um they aren't so concerned that with self awareness i guess you're not policing yourself you're not they don't care sort about of being editing wrong. yourself no it's total freedom and play and the best performances out there are, you know even if you have technical strictures even if you have certain you know you're playing an accent or whatever you know there's always going to be a camera around you have to be aware of you are always trying to get to that sort of childlike place of where you can Uh, Not filter what's coming out of your imagination That's how you get like those really 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 good performances Is when you can get to that point you, yeah. And
0: you feel like you can do that pretty consistently. I try. i
1: always try. Yeah. I mean, how often
0: do you feel like you get that? How, how close do you? How close are you to the kind of actor you want to be?
1: I oh, I think the great thing about it, it's the, it's like playing an instrument. I will try to be improving if I make it to my 80s. You know that see, I see. Everybody I says that, but I've been as good as I am at guitar for like 15 <laughs> years now. Well, I mean, but that's uh, then it's like how much are you willing to? subordinate the rest of your life. Yeah, not to very much. That, not because, very much. Because yeah. it's like, you also want to be like a normal person who isn't, you know, as great as it would be to play guitar. I, I play too. 15 hours a day. To break through those boundaries, you have to start de-emphasizing other parts of your life. And most of us want to have families and friends and yes. hobbies and watch baseball. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's, And that is the... uh I, there was a this sort of different, but it was a something I was reading. Of, uh, it was it's like the one year anniversary of Prince's death, and I forget whether he was. It was I think it was Madonna, but like he went up to her, and it was unclear whether he was messing with her. But he's like, you know, did you ever try writing a hit? And it's like it's well, kind of a unusual thing to say to that person. But then it's like, okay, you can always push yourself farther. And the question is, how how far are you willing to go to do things like that? I thought that was a really you know interesting thing for him to say. Well,
0: that's a really <laughs> yeah. interesting. I mean specifically when it comes to music I've heard a lot of people say you can't you can't try to write hits, but you can't tell me Madonna didn't just sit down and be like, "Right here we go. It's called Material Girl, and yeah. I'm going to be a
1: huge slut in the video, and it's going to be huge." <laughs> or, or the you know the the universally admired class. I mean, Jimmy Page spent years and years and years in you know being a session musician, learning all this. Stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of just elbow grease that goes into that stuff. There's obviously natural talent and all these things, but also the really great people. Sometimes you're like, oh yeah, they spent years. The Beatles. Spent spent years and years and years honing all that stuff yeah the and, germany yeah. years right
0: the meth years yeah
1: <laughs> that's true yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lot of elbow grease and a little bit of methamphetamine does help <laughs> at a certain point in your career if you're young <laughs> enough to to recover from that um you had a a, a, a car crash in a, a dui yeah, and stuff 2006, like that yeah um it, it doesn't seem like you no and but also and yet it could have been any of
1: us i mean it's uh it's definitely the was the worst mistake of my life, mm-hmm. and it was just a you know bit of being it was right at the point between the summer that high school ended and college started and you know just being a stupid teenager ready to go you know to college and everything and it was a Terrible, uh, selfish thing in in LA because you're a teenager and you want to go across town in Los Angeles to something, or you want to do something, and you also want to party, and uh, you know, yeah, made, no made mass transit, right. no Uber would have would have liked that back in the day. <laughs> that would have been a very different story. That's, I mean, there's a lot of complicated things with Uber, but I think everyone can agree that that's one good effect that it has is that you never have to drive anymore,
0: right? Yeah. Um. So does that make you um? That did not make you like you don't need to quit drinking just because you crash a car when you're no, 18. but
1: but it sh- it shouldn't take that intense of a lesson to learn that. But yeah. it certainly was a pretty clear like never ever ever do that again. Right, right, right. And um uh. I'm in a way, especially because no one got hurt but me. I'm glad that it happened then, so that it wasn't something that bled into you know getting older and thinking that that was okay. It's never okay, and it never was, and uh, that uh, was made very clear to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. <laughs> um, do you uh, do you do drugs at all? No, I'm not not really into that. I I support uh, a progressive policy with them. I mm-hmm. think California and Colorado and all that is all great, but I'm not. I wouldn't call myself too much of a drug user. No. Yeah, you don't know <laughs> strike <laughs> me as one. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you about about Oasis, and I, I watched I watched
0: the pilot, um, and it's great. Thanks. And the way that the Amazon thing works is they may, and it's cool. They make a bunch of pilots, and then people get to vote, and the the most popular ones get turned into TV shows. Yeah isn't yours kind of a sure thing. It those sets could not have been cheap. I can't see how they would spend all that money on one episode.
1: Well, it's the, a lot of that goes down to uh our amazing director and cinematographer and set designer. We got great great people um working on it. So, it was cool to physically be there, but also when I watched it when they finished everything, it was like, wow, that looks even better than it looked to the naked eye, right. like they but really. You, you were
0: filming on location in in South Africa. Yeah,
1: yeah uh, we did all our interiors in Cape Town, um, which is where a lot of things are shooting now. They just got finished with the Mummy and uh, Dark Tower and all this stuff. Like a lot of productions going there. If it's <clears> sandy, <throat> it's probably Cape Town. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Then all the everything uh, exterior is in Namibia. We went to the Namib Desert wow. over there, and that that's a truly uh, remarkable place to see. And just flying, we flew from Cape Town to. Uh, Walvis Bay in Namibia, and you just see these, you know, it looks like photographs that NASA takes of Mars, like, and, you know, we're shooting—we're supposed to be on another planet, so it's kind of the perfect place to be. But what you were saying about the voting and everything, I actually was on the first uh, Amazon series uh, that did this process, the uh, Alpha House in sure, 2013. The, the political comedy. And both times we... Um, you're like oh man like it's kind of nerve-wracking that it comes down to the whim of the public and then you know it's gone well both times I mean our numbers for Oasis have been great and we're like oh this is great we should do it every time (laughs) like you know but um it yeah it's uh I I think that the cast has really been a big draw Richard Madden is a, a fantastic actor and and uh was really really wonderful to work with him and part of the 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 difficult part of this industry is that you form these uh, many temporary communities with people working on these things. And Oasis, we were there for two months, uh, actors from, you know, uh, Europe and South Africa and in the United States. They sent all you guys over there for two months. Yeah. The, and, fi- yeah. the fix is in. I mean, you're picked up. This is obvious. Uh, well, is I do not, well, I'm not. This is wood and I'm but on it. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, mm-hmm. but part of the reason is like, I want to see what happens in the show. And it's also like, I loved spending time with these people. We made such good use of our time. Uh, uh, Maureen Sebastian, who plays my boss uh, on the uh, space station, uh, was really great with sending out an email with all of our options for the weekend and then we'd hire a van and we went to the Cape of Good Hope and saw the penguins and saw the safari park and everything. It was just a, a really fast-paced, uh, wonderful time down there. Sounds so, like yeah. fun. Yeah.
0: So the show, it's, it's sci-fi, um, not set all that much in, in the future, which I found a little bit disturbing because usually when this story is about how the world has gone to shit, they yeah. at least <laughs> have the, the, the uh, dignity <laughs> to set it 50 years in the future, not like 10. Yeah. But uh, maybe not all that far You know, Children
1: of Men is 2008 eighteen and right, yes. for in like five years ago I was like, "Whoo! all right, this doesn't seem as threatening as it did ten years ago. And then last year it's like, oh man, like now it seems really well it's <laughs> really in possible. play. It seems to be in play yeah. is the problem.
0: Um so yeah. it's been said that that uh, science fiction or things set in the future are always really about the present. So what do you think the show Oasis has to say
1: about the present? Sadly it does feel inevitable that in some way, shape or form the quality of life Will diminish for most people on on Earth just because uh, we haven't managed climate change pretty much at all. Yeah. It is happening, um, and uh, it, it, yeah, but Peter uh, Richard Madden's character is a, an advocate for the poor, uh, is an ecumenical um, minister. And his hang-up at the beginning of the story is that this billionaire wants to take him up to this colony on another planet where they're trying to sort of build a lifeboat for humanity. And Richard's character is against it because he thinks it's a, you know, a lifeboat for rich people and that most of the people who are bearing the brunt of all the, you know, famine and drought and starvation and all of that are, uh, are the poor. Uh, but he is enticed to come up there anyway and finds out that his mission is a little bit more complicated than you would initially think. But to me, like... um, AI had a had a little element of this too, but it just felt like, like it doesn't feel like we have a, uh, a utopian future ahead of us. It feels like because of all these problems that we haven't really solved as a society, that might overwhelm our ability to correct it in any way. Yeah, pl- um, coupled with our inability to handle any big problem as adults. Yeah, it's just, I mean, and so this is just problems of our own making. So when something unexpected happens, you know. Uh, 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 extreme weather and like the drought we had in California for the past couple of years. And you're like, we we're, we're not prepared for these. You know, I was in New York for Sandy and that was a big gut punch of like, you know, we really weren't prepared for that. Japan is probably the most prepared country in the world for something like the earthquake that happened in 2011 and they weren't prepared for it. It's so it's uh, it's not a good feeling. And. You know, we certainly aren't offering any easy solutions, but it is something that I think is in the back of everybody's mind now. That when 2032 rolls around, uh, what kind of world are we going to be living in? Yeah, collapse yeah. is, is in play. I hope not.
0: <laughs> See, I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna figure it out because I really do believe that that clean energy is the is the trillion dollar puzzle and and i think that technology isn't necessarily happen until there's enough of a financial reward for it and there's just it just seems like there are so many promising techno i don't know anything but there are so many promising technologies and the prize for pulling that off would be so great on top of the, the, the 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 feather in your cap that you saved humankind and life on earth as we know it yeah I find it very hard to believe that I would we won't be into figure that it out.
1: One of my good friends from high school is a chemist and he's at Berkeley right now working on uh, more efficient coatings for uh, windows. Going like if they solve this problem, you can you know decrease energy expenditures by like a quarter in the United States. It's like that kind of stuff that you're talking about. You hope that innovation catches up before uh, the late. other thing. Yeah, <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, it's interesting that there's a show or really any mainstream entertainment that has such a pronounced religious element.
1: True. Yeah. It is, and, and,
0: and the show doesn't shy away from it. The central character is is a priest, but not like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just wears the collar, but he drinks, you know, whiskey and right. he swears all the time. He's religion is central to his life and his mission.
1: He's genuine, and and just in the the brief time that you spend with the the large cast, everybody has their own sort of, you know, Mark Addy's character is a little bit more receptive to it. Um, you know, other characters on the space station a little bit more cynical. And the book that this is based on, um, called uh, the Book of Strange New Things. Um, it is mostly a philosophical, uh, book, you know, the, um, we are going off in a, you know, a, a different direction, you know, out of necessity just because of, you know, making a, uh, television series, but the underlying, you know, theological and philosophical themes are just fascinating in that book. You know, it, it, it has elements of the colonization, uh, colonization of the Americas. It has elements of, you know, uh, you know, this, uh, um, you know, fleeing earth and everything. And it's, uh, it's very fascinating. I had a great moment watching it when it came out on the, on the 17th where I, I without thinking too hard, was like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Oh, nobody knows. <laughs> and we have to make it. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> People are very
0: mean to each other on this show. And I guess as the episode goes on, the reasons for that become somewhat clear. Yeah. But there's a lady who calls you stay puffed over and over yeah. again. Yeah. She's,
1: she's, uh, she's not happy that I got dumped in her lap and, uh, it, there the there's part of an el- of an element where there's specialists that go up there but a lot of people are up there for criminal or um financial reasons you know like Australia in the 1700s where they you could either go to prison in England for something you did or you mm-hmm. could go to the dangerous colony to yeah. try and survive and that's what we've been doing and i i've always been a a big fan of of uh you know history and, and reading about conditions and stuff like that and um just the the immense suffering that the first line of people, you know, experience when they go to new places, you know, the early Arctic explorers and all this. Like, yeah. You have like a 30% survival unbelievable. Rate. There's this book, um, called Arctic Dreams that I read a couple years ago which is a little bit of an ecological book but also talks about the first European explorers to try to sail over the Arctic to get to the Americas and I forget what mission it was but one of the their, their strategy early on was to sail these wooden ships into the they figured out that the ice um, would move over from east to west so if you jammed your ship in early in the season you could sort of ride the ice current over to the Americas if it didn't rip your boat in half and this one ship it ripped them half, and a crew of of, uh, guys were actually rescued months later, but they couldn't drink uh, liquid water because they couldn't melt it, so they uh, took turns Cutting a vein and drinking blood out of a boot to stay alive for a certain period because I couldn't light a fire. <laughs> You're like, that's what it takes to to yeah. be the first.
0: We've lost some <laughs> of our essential toughness. Uh, not not all of us. There's certainly people in the military who maybe would be able to drink blood out of out yeah. of boots, but not the not the most of us. Um, I just read the book, which is now um, I think an Amazon motion picture, "The Lost City of Z," which is a similar oh. thing in that it's these um, Amazon explorers Explorers from about a hundred years ago, and they would go, and it was just understood that people on the journey, on the expedition, would be left for dead. Because if because if we stopped for the one guy who's sick, yeah. everybody's going to die, oh, and that man. was just part. Of, and then, and it wasn't like people went on these expeditions once,
1: yeah. Well, just the 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 bacterial environment that, that are you know that are meeting for the first time if you're going down to the you know equatorial zones in the 1500s and you're a northern European you have no line of defense for all that back there and unfortunately there's no line for the stuff that we were bringing to well, unfortunately <laughs> yeah. unfortunately that was a two-way road as a, yeah. where no, nobody
0: won right well that's, this, scary. That, that's uh, I've been led to believe the reason why Africa was known as the dark continent is because of malaria european map makers were only able to get so far into africa in any rate before they died (laughs) so they had a drawing of the outside of it they knew they knew exactly what the outside of it was but nobody could map the inside of it because everybody died when they went in so on maps they would have the the topographical details of everywhere else and then africa would be the dark continent because they didn't know what was in there
1: man yeah. yeah, the uh, 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 mosquito has killed more human beings than even human beings have killed. It's the like, greatest killer <laughs> <and it's crazy. laughs> known known to men. I got a bunch of shots going down there, uh, you know, the standard procedure when you go. And the uh, uh, doctor that I went to in New York had this huge wall-sized map uh that had been drawn by Dr. Seuss that had this cartoonishly evil mosquito and the maps of all the malarial regions of the world and it's like this crazy thing hanging over there. But I, I went to um, uh, Western Africa in 2009 because one of my best friends studied there for a year and got different shots then and everything and the decision you had to make at least in 2009 was the daily pill which has you know minimal side effects or the weekly pill which is easier to remember but also gives you terrifying Nightmares and causes you to sleepwalk constantly. So I did the daily pill because my friend sent me an email and he's like, Man, last night I woke up in an alley, like, in an unlighted street down away from the, from the campus, he had gotten up in the middle of the night and just walked on autopilot past the security guard down the street and just ran into a wall. It's like, where, where am I? That's a hell of a side effect. Yeah, all to keep the, the parasite out. Yeah.
0: Um, one other observation on Oasis I, I couldn't help but notice you found yourself into uh, yet another project where people see dead people.
1: <laughs> I. Th- that's how that's how much my head's in the clouds I didn't even put two and two together I guess because my character has not seen that yet yeah, but yeah, it yeah. remains it remains to be <laughs> remains give it remains to be seen give it time yeah, yeah right back on familiar ground um
0: and uh, Silicon Valley is another thing that you're doing, and yeah. the season premiere is this Sunday, which is either depending people are listening to this either uh, tomorrow or today or maybe a couple days ago. I don't know if you're in the season premiere. I show up about
1: halfway through the season. Okay, yeah, yeah. it's a. Uh, I've been a fan of that show ever since it came on, it's great. And, and yeah, a, a terrific cast of guys. Yeah,
0: Mike judges. Yeah perhaps our most underrated national treasure.
1: They, they did a great uh, article in the New York Times about him last week, just about how yeah, he usually seems to be just a little bit ahead of everybody else and seeing where things are going. Yeah, the batting average yeah.
0: is, is is astounding.
1: It's pretty awesome. Yeah, we yeah. got my,
0: my five-year-old into King of the Hill, so I mean, even <laughs> the less prestige uh, uh, Mike Judge thinks resonate pretty strongly in, in my household. So, so what sort of role are you playing on Silicon Valley?
1: They, they specifically told me not to say anything specific, but I am a player of Sorts in Silicon Valley who becomes interested in Richard's technology, and we sort of, uh, you know, uh, pull into each other's orbit. So okay. I don't even know what happens in the episodes that uh that, that I'm not in this season but I'm very excited the the trailer they put up is hilarious and I mean it's so funny like, cuz I love all of Thomas Middleditch's stuff and you know Kumail's stuff that they do on you know Comedy Bang Bang and all that stuff like the 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 scope of their and TJ and all those guys like the scope of their comedy is so so much fun so Yeah Kumail yeah. is
0: one of those people who can phrase um, any any sentence in a way that can make me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. his Twitter is so great because he can write normal straightforward English and I hear it in his voice and it also <laughs> makes me laugh. He seems like he's 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 grown uh, blown up a lot recently. Well, yeah, he's got well that, that
1: film that uh, he and his uh, wife uh, Emily uh, Gordon did, um uh, The Big Sick, which is coming out in July. That was a big smash at Sundance. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: No, he's incredible. I,
0: it, there was a movie uh, Hell Baby that he was in. It was not a terrific I didn't see movie. That. I'm wouldn't totally recommend it, but the best part is he gets very, very stoned and tries to pull a, a van or a car out of a parking spot and just repeatedly very very slowly ramps the car in front and back over and over and over again as only Camille <laughs> can. Um so uh you were on Eric Andre's show. Yes, I was. Were you not
1: in on the joke? No, i I'm a fan of the show. Okay, so but how, do, how
0: how the hell do people go on there who aren't in
1: on it? I it's incredible to think of because even knowing who he is and being a fan of his, they they do a great job with uh you you don't meet anybody before mm-hmm. you go to a green room and then they lead you around to a different studio. Which in the summer of 2015 they were not air conditioning, mm-hmm. so it was like a hundred degrees inside. He later said that he didn't shower the whole season. So I remember that smelled them. really bad. Was that the like, Cat Williams hair? season yeah yeah oh yeah. yeah and the, the the best thing is so I'm going on going like it's like you don't you just go and roll with it and everything and even I was surprised because one of the first things he does he, I don't know if this uh, made it into the episode but he pulled a gun and shot somebody and this hot shell casing like fell in my shirt and like burned me and I was like ah like, it, was, it got off to a really really good start so, yeah. yeah I heard that they go if they
0: know that the guest is in on it then they're like okay they'll well, go then, hard well, on it well then you, the yeah. only thing that we can do is to go even further than the guest thinks that we will yeah, go, yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. terrific. He's also a uh, a national treasure.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, that that thing at the the GOP convention last summer. Oh, like, I didn't see it. Oh, you got to watch it. He went to an Alex Jones rally and like got up on stage and was messing with Alex Jones in a crowd of people who you're like, this is really dangerous. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> <like you're... laughs> he's he, he, he's
0: that 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 kind of person. Um, it, where I, I I think he's prepared to get beat up over it. I think so. Yeah, I he, think he, kind he of weirdly kind of wants to, to get... such
1: painful things. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh man, he's hilarious. <laughs> so you are um
0: you're developing some material of your own, some projects of your own. Does that mean writing? Does that mean finding things? Yeah. Yeah.
1: A lot of writing, and uh, um, I wrote some stuff in college that have been have been developing over the years, and um, now it's just more like. I used to write excru- exclusively for uh, for films, and now it's I think that there's a much bigger market in series and everything. So it's been adapting certain ideas to turn them into uh, something that could uh, go on one of these new platforms and everything. Right. There's less and less yeah.
0: movies, and 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 exp- yeah. and, and exponentially uh, more outlets for television. Yeah,
1: I, I regret that the. Market for movies has gone from a whole lot of different things to the very giant and the very small. Like that, mm-hmm. that middle part of the industry has sort of been carved out by economic. And, and that was but, the best part, if you ask. Yeah, me. yeah. Never you,
0: really a, a like. I grew up in the eighties, and 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 the, most of the classic eighties movies, like certainly there is, you know,
1: Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff uh, like yeah.
0: that. But all of the take all the John Hughes movies and stuff like that. Those sorts of things
1: don't get made. Anymore. Mid-budget like, movies yeah. that don't have necessarily a built-in audience. That's a new idea. Like right. that's that's what I think. I think. But I think the audience market is out there for it. It's just hard to to quantify it in advance, you and know? it's hard to get
0: them to go to the theater, which is part yeah. of the issue. Even though I think you and I both agree, there's something. It's the closest I get to to experiencing religion, really. It, you know, it's 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 and know it's I know it's a cheap. Magic trick, you know that they just the music kicks in and they're they're manipulating you a million different ways, but you just have this group um uh emotional experience sitting in this dark room and i i don't i don't there's a lot of movies that I see because I, I have a kid I don't get out to the movie theater as much as I would like to that I, the movies don't really strike me, and I can't help but wonder if they would not have struck me more if I had seen them in a darkened room. absolutely
1: i I saw uh get out. In the middle of the day with nobody in the theater, yeah. and it was not as fun as going to a crowded theater late at night with it's a bunch funny. of people. I mean, we're talking about horror movies; like it's pretty darn important to have that. Comedies and horror movies, you, it's it's can be a huge, uh, huge boost to have a full house. Yeah, you know. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Now is where I, I, I'll stream a lot of stuff. Sure. It's just, it's just so easy. And you're like, I just hope we don't lose it entirely. I hope you don't see movie theaters shutting down so much. Like,
0: right. And how far can this go? Will my son consider it normal to watch movies on his? Phone?
1: Well, and first run, like that's the the big thing now. I don't know what's going to happen where, like, they'll make a deal and you can just you can get it the day it comes out, Mm -hmm. so there'll be no you know uh, forcing people to go see it and stand in line, right? So, so what is what's the closest to
0: would you say happening of stuff that you are personally trying to develop? How far along are you with?
1: Um, There's stuff that I'm finished with. I basically, uh, and it's it's a, a problem I don't mind having. Like, it's just been I've been too busy doing these shows to really spend the time to uh get it ready to pitch. And also there's a thing of that you want to um uh come at it with a little bit more having stuff you know, being coming out already, like, you know, if I tried to make this stuff when I got out of college in 2012, I don't think I would have found too many open doors to that. Oh, but, that's you know, interesting, but when you yeah. know, but you're on Silicon Valley and the Amazon stuff show like that, want to like, look at your script. Yeah, I mean, the it's 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 clear that it's easier to get something made if people are familiar with your some of the other stuff, and so you want to build up that because the, the thing with like, especially with a lot of the college stuff, like it's uh, it's not autobiographical or anything, but like it's stuff that comes from a very personal place. So I'm like, I want to do it when like you know. I'm I'm ready to do it the best that I can.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. How how um how far along do you do you feel like you are in um it, well rebranding yourself and and being seen uh you know as an adult I don't want to say an adult
1: performer yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, I I think um there's it's hard to say. It's hard to say that about yourself cuz I know where I was as an actor in college mm-hmm. and after college and now with the things that I'm that I'm working on and everything. But it's hard to know exactly how much that Translates into an audience's idea of you, so I'm very happy with where I am right now, and I like yeah. these things are all going in 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 the right direction, yeah, but it's uh yeah I'm not sure I think you' you only know a little bit after the fact of like how people respond to right, it so right this is a nice moment right now, having these three different shows come out, and the characters yeah. are pretty different, and uh you know, and you were saying like what do you get out of uh doing press and everything like that it's like there was one round of doing it when Spoils of Babylon came out when Entourage came out which is like the first time I'd talked to you know media outlets a lot in you know eight years or so so it's you know that's part of the the uh a uh, path of doing things as you go, and you reacquaint yourself with people. And now, like this interview and the things that'll come later in the year, it's more sort of talking about the present and the future and everything. Right, so, right, right. Well, yeah. I
0: I love what you're doing because I mean, you're just—it's inevitable. You're good at what you do, and you—and you're in um uh a good projects. Something something will pop, and and just like that, yeah. there there you are. You the know?
1: I um remember something that Brian Cranston said. who's obviously one of one of the greats, and he was like, "You uh." You, you have to be doing it just for the work itself mm-hmm. because there's no guarantee that anything, will that lightning will strike twice or even once in this industry or that something right. will pop or everything. But if you're just doing it because you love doing it, then you're in the right spot. And that's that's like an, an overriding theme for me is that like I just like what I do and, right. you know, we we'll, could be continuing to do it. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, and that's what keeps you – Keeps you warm at night you you've already had enough success in your life to know that i don't know you were nominated for an academy yeah. award that that will only you know, statues will only get you so far. If you did a movie that you didn't like and you didn't feel good about the way that you acted <laughs> it, and you got an Oscar for it, there's something wrong with that you. If you be... go, well, fuck it, because I got the fucking, I got the statue. Yeah. So that Looks would like... be a
1: weird position to be in. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Whereas, if you make a movie that uh, is not particularly well received, that you just feel really good about doing, that yeah. is something that you take with you forever. I and mean, it sounds trite but it's it's so incredibly true and it obviously doesn't just apply to entertainment that um you know the 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 work has to be its own excuse for being absolutely or else or or else i don't even know how you keep showing up yeah (laughs) it would be difficult yeah yeah well that's all the time that we uh that we have i have to let you go um thank you thank you man again it was really nice to meet you it was nice to meet you too and uh silicon valley Will feature you uh later on in the season that debuts on Sunday. In the meantime, everybody can watch the Amazon pilot for Oasis, which is just free.
1: Yeah. You don't need a prime membership and, and thanks to everybody who uh, will see it or who already seen it because uh we are very encouraged. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I think I think you guys are gonna be just fine. All right.
1: <laughs> well <laughs> Thank thanks very a lot, much. man. Nice Talk to, to you soon.